0: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ National, presented by me, Alison Balance. Professor Dame Anne Sarmond is an historian at the University of Auckland. The 2013 New Zealander of the Year is also a keen environmentalist and, together with architect husband Jeremy Salmond, owns a property that they've been turning into an eco-sanctuary. It's all been possible with help from a large number of people and organisations, including the Queen Elizabeth II National Trust, or QE2 Trust as it's more usually known. We'll hear more about their role helping landowners to covenant land with high conservation values but first let's hear from Jeremy and Anne about a patch of forest known as Longbush and the Waiketeru Eco Sanctuary.
1: This is a place in Gisborne which has long family ties uh, for me because when I was a kid we used to come up here and swim in the swimming hole that was just there in the Waimata River and so Longbush is a Kind of mythical place for me and my brothers and sisters, and in two thousand well, it was nineteen ninety nine uh, Jeremy and I came up the road uh, to see our old stamping ground because we came here too when we were courting, thought it would be a lovely place to maybe build a house one one day and and there was a sign a for sale sign on the on the fence that said for forestry or grazing and we thought not forestry on (laughs) longbush. So that's how it started. So what was here when you arrived, first of all, Jeremy?
2: A lovely stretch of bush, with lovely cows grazing under it and nibbling off everything that uh, came through the ground. So it was just trees. And on the other side of the road were these very steep paddocks with falling-down fences and collapsing trees and stock under those as well. But we... Wandered around one of the creeks up there and thought, gosh,
1: this would be a nice place to be. So we put out an offer in that weekend, didn't we? we? Did, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: it was mad. It's so, bad. how big's the piece of land you've got?
2: Um, it's rather bigger than we thought. It's um, 120 hectares. We were told, weren't we, don't bite off more than you, you can chew. So we did. And we've been chewing en- energetically ever since, really. <laughs> mm.
0: So, what have you done with your original patch of bush that had the cows underneath?
1: Um, Well, that was the very first thing that we turned into a covenant because we could. It's it's um, a rare strip of alluvial, you know, riverside bush. There's not much of that left on the east coast, and so we knew it was important, and we knew it was also going to be killed if uh, if the grazing kept on going, and so we went to QE2 and they helped us to fence it, which was fantastic. So that was the very first thing we did. And as soon as the fence went up, of course, all the weeds started coming because people had dumped household refuse there for a long time. So there was all sorts of weeds. And, you know, I was wandering around with a backpack trying to control it. And then, of course, we met Steve Sawyer, who was just at the process of leaving DOC to set up his own business um, looking after endangered species, ecoworks. So... So we met Steve really early on in the piece um, and we've been working with him ever since. Have things improved down there? It's absolutely beautiful it's now. Because the weeds have
2: receded and all the native plants have taken their place and the explosion of plant life in the bush was astonishing uh, and it got to the stage of quite quickly in places you couldn't walk through it because of kawakawa forests. And then other things like uh, the black orchid and the green hooded orchid yeah and what and else? the
1: birds that started and the birds yeah lots and, and lots birds. of birds started coming back and the old name of the place is Waikeeddu, um so it's you know kedidu waters, and it there's always been kedidu here, but they have the numbers have you know skyrocketed, and it's true i mean we got we've got a dawn chorus here now that's really pretty impressive it's lethal. <laughs> us
0: up. <laughs> <laughs> and what's been happening on the rest of your property Sit- sitting here looking around it looks like you've got some really good regeneration going on
2: for a while we grazed it and we started paying huge amounts of money to fences to, to fence off parts of it so we decided what we would keep as paddock and what we thought we should just leave to regenerate because that was the objective we didn't really know what we were doing when we came did we? but mm. then we just realised that our mission in life was to kind of regenerate the landscapes, and and we decided we would make um, an arboretum, a native arboretum.
1: The very first major planting we did was what we call the arboretum, and that's uh, along the foothills instead of... Because this is Cyclone Boulder country. It was all tum- tumbling down. 1986. And, yes, and so w- instead of pinning it with poplars or something like that, what we decided to do was to, to plant these big groves of, you know... Twenty karaka and you know thirty tor uh, twenty this and that you know so big mass plantings and in between each big uh, grove of a particular native species of tree we we planted the Rini Orcheston flax collection, so that we've got these you know sixty odd varieties of harakeke um, in the arboretum as well, and that's been that's worked out brilliantly because what happens is the kākāriki and the other birds they fly from long bush. And they fly over the meadow and have you know aerobatics and things, which they seem to love. And then they go into the arboretum, which is fruiting furiously these days, and then up into the hills. And the Kenedu, of course, do a lot of planting for us with uh, you know, little pellets of nitrogen wrapped around the seeds. And we haven't really planted anything in the hills. We just let the birds do the, do the planting. And One of the things that um, I'm really interested in, I serve on the Air New Zealand Sustainability Panel, And trying to make an airline sustainable is like trying to climb Mount Everest. It's really difficult. And so carbon offsetting is very important. And I'm very interested, uh, along with a whole lot of other people, especially on the East Coast, we think that um, the best way of carbon offsetting in a highly erodible landscape like this is going to end up being native forest um, and using uh, the manika and kanika for honey production in the early stages and later on perhaps doing sustainable logging in the in the long run, high-value logs that are extracted um, by helicopter perhaps, and that kind of thing. And so we've put the 100 hectares of hills into... We had an afforestation grant scheme that enabled us to do, do the fencing and put in trap lines. And qe 2 has been great to work with.
0: Anne and Jeremy Simond now have three covenants covering most of their land... The Covenants are a collaboration with the Queen Elizabeth II National Trust, which was created 40 years ago with its own Act of Parliament. Its aim is to encourage and promote, for the benefit of New Zealand, the provision, protection, preservation and enhancement of open space. Canterbury farmer James Guild is chair of the Trust.
3: It's really a collection of people with an enthusiasm for protecting natural biodiversity on private land. It's a structure, it's an organisation involving
4: uh,
3: office staff in Wellington, involving reps across the country, but probably more importantly involving 4,500-odd covenanters who've all put bits of land aside and and are looking after it with the trust and partnership.
0: So you are a covenanter, I understand. So can you explain to me what it was that motivated you to get involved? So you know what was the bit of your land that you wanted to look after and why did you choose to put a covenant on it?
3: We started looking at covenanting back in the 80s. We didn't actually complete it until the 90s for a variety of different reasons. And the property I'm on in, in western Canterbury um, was was a large high country station with a lot of development potential. And throughout the 70s and 80s, we were encouraged by government policies and various other things to develop land. So there were land development encouragement grants and livestock incentive schemes and so forth. And I think a, a lot of us at some stage paused and thought, there are some things that we need to preserve, so we need to get the balance right. So to some extent um, that's what motivates us. So I looked at looking after uh, a riverbed area uh, which had a variety of different, um, it's a high country station, so it's um, Matagari and and old um, Manuka and Red Tussocks and various other different types of riverbed communities. Uh, And since then we've We've covenanted another two areas, and we've got another two in the pipeline as well. Most of what we've been doing is about water and and wetlands and and preservation of streams and so forth. Um, So it's quite different than some of the bush blocks that that are around the country. But throughout the nation, we have everybody who believes they've got something which is good, natural, uh, original biodiversity and needs protection. Uh, It doesn't matter whether it's a dune land whether it's tussock land, whether it's... um, you know, dense bush or open scrubland or something, all that is, is part of the mosaic that we've protected.
0: So why have you had a covenant put on it? Does that offer you legal protection for that bit of land?
3: Yeah, that's that's the bit that the, the trust does. The, the trust partners with the landowner to ensure that the protection is there in perpetuity. And we, regardless of who owns it, that's registered on the title, and if the land's sold, then the, then the trust maintains the the protection of that on behalf of the original Covenanter. Uh, so it's a, it's a legal protectionism which is very robust. We've, we've tested it in the courts it's deemed to be indefeasible which means it's got a status probably on a par with national parks so when we say in perpetuity we mean exactly that. It'll be there forever.
0: Does this land have to have certain sorts of natural values to be become a covenant under the
3: Trust? Yes it does. At the moment we're using as a guideline the, the four principles under the LENZ, the LENS classifications, which are regionally rare, threatened species and so forth. So we, we, most of our covenants will qualify for at least one if not several of those four classifications. So we, we don't take the point of view that every bit of bush or every um, native area necessarily should be protected. In some cases there are people just wanting a cheap fence, so we look very much at the covenanter, their motivation, what they want to do, and, and the value of the area. And we're slightly spoilt for choice at the moment. We've got more people coming wanting to protect, so while we're not turning away, we are being very surprised at the quality of the, of the, of the land that's coming towards us for protection.
0: Where does your funding come from?
3: We're, we're principally funded by, by the Crown through government funding, through um, vote conservation. Uh, we have some of our own funding, um, but we, we largely rely on the on, on Crown grant annually, um, which is about $4.5 million a year. So your covenants run the length and breadth of New Zealand? We do yes. About 70% of New Zealand in private ownership. About one percent of that is now in, in QE2 covenants. It doesn't sound a lot, but when you add it up, it's it amounts to about 185,000 hectares, which is a lot of land. If you if you put if you add that into a collective mass, it's the same size as Stewart Island. Um, it's the same size as Greater Auckland, just about the size of three of our smallest national parks. So it it, it is it's a significant area, and and it's a significant organisation because of that. So over the years, there's been about 1.4 billion dollars of landowner funding going into that over the 40 years that we're celebrating. Um, and on average, if you just just do the simple sums, it means that every every four or five days, another covenant's being registered.
5: Hi, dear.
0: The QE2 Trust has been celebrating its 40th birthday with Covenanters around the country. And at the recent Gisborne party held at the Salmons property, I caught up with Carol and Steve Ring. They organically farm Dexter cattle on a rural property with a long history.
5: We live at Waimata Valley. Um, it was originally a large station, started in the 1800s by J.C. Field taken over by his son Lawson Field.
0: So very historic.
5: Yes. And then the family sold and it's now been split into small sections. A lot into forestry and we have 180 acres with 4.7 hectares in QE2 bush.
0: So when you bought the property you already had a covenant yes. on it. Yes.
5: Yes. Yeah, it's already set in place. We just have to really look after the trees. Mm. Make sure the cattle don't get in, and the pests and weeds are, cont- are controlled.
0: So, did you mind having a covenant on your land? Was that an advantage or a disadvantage well, for you? Well,
4: at the beginning, I thought, oh, what's going to, you know, what's going to go off here? Well, no, it was, it was fine, um, and if it's a good asset, it's a nice drive through, and and uh, it brings a certain sort of something to the place. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, tell me about your patch of bush.
4: Well, it's got karitea, riruiras, and loads of other things which are, uh, Carol probably (laughs) has a better idea than I do, I'm I'm not a tree person. We've
5: got a lot of the fuchsia tree which is not around in certain places, it likes the cooler temperatures which is what we are, we're at the top, we get snow each year and really good frosts. so we've got the fuchsias we've got whitey woods We've got tea tokies we've got an old stand of pigeonwood trees that isn't in the Covenant but is in the middle of a field. It's just beautiful. Mm. Um, there's lots of ferns that we've got. Malcolm showed us that we've got orchids tree orchids in the trees that are really quite rare and special there's lots of epiphytes coming off the trees we've got a small riwiri right from sort of little ones growing so all you're starting up. at about
0: knee height and
5: going up yes
4: Do you? you think that some of these trees that we've got were, were started, started growing about the time that michelangelo was doing the sistine chapel <laughs> it's quite amazing really yeah yeah Mm, it's quite interesting. There's
5: always lots of bird life around as well. We've mm. got wood pigeons that fly over your heads, yeah, and all, all bell around birds the place. Bellbirds too. Is oh, mm.
4: whole range of. And Malcolm, Malcolm's given us some traps, didn't he? And we've yeah. been trapping, so we've been catching rats, stoats, hedgehogs, the occasional cat. Yeah, so we're getting rid of those. So hopefully, we should see the wildlife increase. Mm. Yeah.
5: So how long have you been there now?
4: Two and a half years. And we love it. Yeah, we love living up there.
5: And there's actually. You drive through the covenant every time you go in or out of the property. It's sort of in the middle of the property. Um, And at night, when you walk up through, there's glowworms. The whole side of the banks are all lit up with all the glowworms that are there. Really quite special.
0: It's not just forest that can be covered by a QE2 covenant. Covenant number 4400 was finalised just in time for the Trust's 40th birthday, and it's a salt meadow owned by Dunedin couple Judith and Gary Shields. They were looking around for a smaller, more manageable rural lifestyle block when they came across a perfect piece of land at Karatane, just north of the city.
6: The uh, attraction to it was it was lovely rolling grass, sort of a spur, And then it led right down into where the estuary backed up into sort of what looked like wetlands to us. And we really liked the look of the place, but it had been quite denuded and cattle had been grazing in the wetland area. And we thought we'd like to um, restore that and get it back to what it should be looking like.
7: And there were no native trees in that area. So, yeah, we wanted to just fence off the wetland piece and uh, plant some native trees to protect it and to... filter the water that was running off the hillside into the wetland area.
0: So did you already know about the Queen
7: Elizabeth II
0: National Trust at that stage?
7: Uh, Yes, we had heard of it, but uh, hadn't bought the land specifically with that in mind. The first contact was
6: with the dock um, conservation people, and I I spoke to um, Morgan Trotter, who uh, helped me with some funding to get some fencing in. And he mentioned the QE2 side of things to me and the contact person, Robin Thomas, down here. So that began the process of us trying to understand what it would mean if we went into QE2 and how much control we'd still have on the land, even though it's going to be protected. We had no intention of ever selling the place, and I'm sure it'll just go down to the kids and they'll carry it on. But it just meant that whatever happened in the future, that area would be well looked after and be a little bit of conservation work and protection of the environment, because it is an area where the, um, there's a lot of wading birds who feed and nest in there, and also the whitebait come up there to um, spawn.
0: So what kind of birds do you see?
7: Oh, a huge range of birds. Lots of swans and ducks and gulls, of course, but plovers, spur plovers, herons, spoonbills. Bilts, mallard, all the range of um, ducks that you can think of, uh, Canada geese, uh, and uh, there's lots of little twists out that area as well, and skylarks. Hmm.
0: And what, what's out there in, in the way of plants? I mean, this sounds like a very low marshy area to me.
7: It's actually a salt meadow, and the uh, Plants. I'm not a botanist, so I don't know the details of the plants. But um, when Robin Thomas was out assessing the property for entry into the QE2 Trust, he took a lot of photographs of the plants that are out on the, wet, on the salt meadow, and he sent them the photographs to uh, by a botanist in Christchurch, and she um, said there were some really significant plants.
6: But you're quite right, they're very hard to see. When you go out walking there, they're tiny, little, tiny little um, flat-growing plants, so you could sort of walk along over the top of them without really realising the significance of them, actually.
0: That was Judith and Gary Shields, and we also heard from Dame Anne and Jeremy Sarmond, Carol and Steve Ring, and James Guild from the Queen Elizabeth II National Trust. Thanks for listening. I'm Alison Balance in this Our Changing World podcast, first aired on RNZ National on November the 16th, 2017. You can find us on the web at rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld and on Twitter and Facebook as RNZ Science. Subscribe to our podcasts at Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes and Radio Public. And another RNZ podcast series you might like to try is Pants on Fire, the Fipper's Guide to Lies, Liars, and Lying, and try saying that fast. Bye for now. Matewa.
1: Botox Cosmetic, botulinum Toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you.